Welcome to the Inner Dominatrix Podcast, the show that gets you stepping into your bold, sexy, fun-filled life. And as always, I have another exciting guest. And in fact, she's actually live in the studio with me. So Jen CB is a personal friend of mine, but she is also an amazing, incredible person that I just had to introduce all of you to. So Jen, welcome. I'm so happy you're here. Thank you so much for inviting me on. I feel honored to be here. Aww. So Jen, you are a certified teacher. You're a life coach. You used to be a pro athlete. Oh, sorry. Semi-pro athlete. Get that right. <laughs> um, you have this big diversity of, of a background. And what I love most about you is that you have this utter commitment to being present in the moment, to being here and to really digging into in your process and being living, walking your talk. Well, thank you. Thank you for observing that. I just like to be my normal dorky self and it's okay to be a dork. (laughs) I own it. And there's a difference between a geek and a dork because dorks have good hand-eye coordination. Oh, okay. I hadn't thought of it Uh, that way. Okay. Okay. So a geek and a dork are similar, but the dork would be able to play softball. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> We're able to train at the gym and stuff. But yes, I do trip over air occasionally. <laughs> That's hilarious. So speaking of softball, so that yes. was the athletic sport that you were part of. Yes. And I love your story about, you know, where you journeyed from. So you tried out for Team Canada twice in your life. Yes. So the first time was, you were how old? I was 23 when I tried out for the first time. And to be nationally ranked at that age, I was playing down in South Carolina in the NCAA, um, voted Canadian Junior National MVP at that age, like just rock in the sport and tried out and unfortunately was rejected for Beijing 2008. And that rejection early in life, it sent me unfortunately down a spiral spiral or rabbit hole sort of idea into darkness. And I didn't know how to handle it. With that being said, that led to depression, obesity, 65 pound weight gain, because I didn't know who I was anymore. And I didn't know how to handle it. And it wasn't until I was about 28 or 29. And Through a doctor's report, they told me I had high blood pressure for the first time in my life. And I thought, I got to do something quickly because this is not looking good. And so I started working out again, finding the love for myself again and digging deep, meditating, understanding about proper active, healthy living, and then found the love I had for softball again. And so there's this story behind it where... I just had this opportunity for a second chance at life and a second chance of trying it for Team Canada. Mm. And then hold were you when you tried it for Team Canada the second time? 31. Whew. So I'm now competing against kids 10 years my junior. And this is awesome. It's so much fun to compete and didn't make it the second time around, but did so much work for myself and took that leap of faith of giving up my full-time job as a teacher and just training as a full-time athlete and wanting it so much, then I I ended up playing semi-pro in Europe. And it was a very much well-rounded story. Mm, That is so incredible. And and I love, you know, it's like, I just want to encapsulate for people that this was when we got from 23 to 31, you've got this journey of, you know, you, everything was softball. 
Yes. Right? Yes. That was your definition of who you were. Yes. And then when that didn't land, then all of a sudden, like, who am I? Where am I going? And this big crash down. And then, you know, eventually bringing yourself back up. And I know you trained for two years, was it? Before it you was, tried out again? Exactly. Yes. It was two years of just uh, committing myself to the gym and just active, healthy, healthy living and being selfish. And that's one of the things I talk mm-hmm. about in life coaching is it's okay to be selfish. You need to be selfish. Absolutely. Take care of yourself first. Before you can be the better person for your family, friends, colleagues, coworkers, and client. You need to work on yourself. Yeah. And sometimes it takes time. Like I, I really wanted to highlight that time frame because there are so many people preaching the, you know, get rich quick and take this pill and it'll make you thin and, you know, instant, instant, instant. But yet the real lasting success comes when we dig in day in and day out. It's that commitment and it's practicing the fundamentals in life, just like an athlete would. And so we can sum this up in just a couple of minutes of, you know, sharing my story. But this was really a four year journey through depression, obesity, right up to semi-pro athletic status. So it wasn't a fly-by-night and overnight success. It was day in, day out, focusing on the fundamentals, meditating, understanding the mind, body, and spirit relation in order to get to the top of the mountain. Yeah. And I'd imagine in there, it's like, not every day is going to be easy, but each day when you woke up, like, how did you get yourself back into that mindset to choose that again? For me, it was that mountaintop analogy of the athletic realm. I wanted to play international ball because in my early 20s, it was this unfinished chapter in my life. And I think the lack of closure really helped me propel myself moving forward. And it's one of my speeches, actually, failure as a motivator, mm-hmm. right? So those, less le- those lessons can really propel yourself moving forward in life. And that's yeah. what motivated me to, to continue to wake up every day and train and eat properly. You know, we're talking four grams of sugar or less a day, six days on, one day off, training at the gym twice a day, and not knowing wh- where or when or how this was going to pan out and trusting in the unknown. Mm. That, you know, it's such an incredible journey. And I think, I think that's where a lot of, you know, pro and, and semi-pro athletes end up in motivational speaking. Because, you know, when you're willing to do that, where you're willing to get up every day mm-hmm. and make the same choice mm-hmm. every day for that long-term vision, mm-hmm. That's what creates that, you know, being able to do translate that, of course, into anything. Yes, absolutely. And we're talking about a game that's larger than life itself. Softball's always been around. The baseball game has always been around for, well, a lot longer than me. You know, it will be here long after I'm gone. And you're training for this game to get better. And that's why I articulate it as it's a game that's larger than life itself. So I don't make that connection. Maybe it's because I'm not, you know, the sports-minded person. But, you know, you say that softball is larger than life. I don't know. It's larger than my life. That's how I... That it extends out past what you're doing. Yes. Okay. Okay. Because you're trying to rise to that perfect athlete, the perfect game, the perfect pitch. You're training for 
a game that's that's been around, like I said, has been around well before I was born and will continue to be around long after I'm gone. And you're trying to strive for that concept. Yeah. And then did you find, like as you say about, you know, training for the perfect game, the perfect, you know, being the perfect athlete, did that flip over into, you know, being really hard on yourself while you're training? Oh, absolutely. As a pitcher, you're constantly hard on yourself. You're striving for that perfect game and virtually will never happen because every single pitch and the physics behind the pitch and the proper release and the proper target and the proper batter and the pitcher, et cetera. There's so many components that, that go into a game and we're not even talking about the weather here. (laughs) So, (laughs) (laughs) um, there's so much and you're constantly striving and you're hungry for it. You have this passion within you to constantly get better. Nice. Mm -hmm. So what kinds of things did you do to make sure that you weren't being really hard on yourself when it didn't work out perfectly? That's part of the mental game. And taking a step back off of the mound, you know, and I, And I think of the mound, you know, you're inside of the pitcher circle and you have to take a step back and, and understand the various perceptions of the game, which is just like life. Taking that step back, looking around the circle, understanding the lessons that are involved here, the time and place in which the game was played, how well you are mentally, physically, spiritually at that position along your path. It's very similar to your life's journey. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Pulling back and having that perspective so that you're not in it, but you're observing mm-hmm. from the outside. Yes. And of course, when we observe other people, we don't tend to be as harsh and critical. Well, hopefully we're not. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're me. <laughs> right. But hopefully we're not critical when we look at other people. And yet, if we can translate that skill of how we observe and say, oh, well, you could tweak that, you can improve that, and you did really great. And if we applied that to ourselves. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It can make a huge difference. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So you're now doing life coaching. Yes. And you've started going back to school. Yes. I wanted to get my master's. It is a personal goal of mine. I've always wanted to do is to incorporate that high academic and athletic excellence into my life coaching business and to speak about these experiences and to share these teachings, et cetera. It's, it's been a quite a ride this past year. (laughs) Yes. Which we should probably open the door and explain what's kind of happened in the last year. You've had a dramatic pivot point and your whole life has pretty much been turned upside down. Yeah, absolutely. Or right side up. I don't know which way to look at it. Yeah. But And it's funny because we met um, just before everything happened. We met, you know, about 13 months ago. And then all of a sudden, you know, waking up every day and amazing experiences are happening with life coaching. And then my husband woke up, just turned 40, stroke-like symptoms. And within five days, I had to make that decision to take him off life support. So when you think you're going down the road and the universe all of a sudden says, no, you're supposed to be away over here. And 20 minutes, my life changed drastically. Yeah. Dramatic. And I have to say, you know, I have, I've witnessed your journey through, through this whole wave and it's been 
it's been interesting to watch, you know, that there are times when you're, you are riding it, you're feeling really good. And there's other times it's, you know, it kind of crashes and takes you under. But through all of that, what I love is that you haven't made yourself wrong and you've let yourself go with the process and go where it takes you. Got to ride the wave, surfs up. <laughs> and, and that's what the journey from grief to grace is all about is understanding that you have to surrender. You have to surrender into the art of the darkness. And I think all the life experiences that I've just shared helped me prepare for this unbelievable curveball that happened in life. And, and when this happens, it is about releasing control. I had no control over my husband's well-being. I had no control over our marriage at that point. And it was really about releasing the reins and just riding the wave. And when you, when you ride the wave and some, some waves are strong, some are pretty weak. Um, it is about just releasing and letting go and letting yourself fall into the waters. Because when you release that, release that control, you end up floating. Right. You don't sink down to the bottom. You end up floating. So that's why I articulate it. You know, you just, you got to ride the wave. And some days are, are horrendous and it's trudging through sludge and muck, which you had described as a swamp. And absolutely yes. don't really want to sit down. It's not, my clothes aren't waterproof. <laughs> yes. Um, and that's, that's the way it goes sometimes. Yeah. And I like that analogy of the buoyancy because if you think about, I mean, surfing is done in the ocean, obviously, because we need the waves and the waves are creating yep. the ocean. And the ocean being salt water is buoyant. Mm-hmm. When we, you know, when we allow ourselves to just kind of relax, we do, we float on the surface. Mm-hmm. And we're brought back up. And I think it's the same thing in our lives that if we, if we don't try to be, you know, fighting whatever demons are going on, if we're not fighting so hard, and we let ourselves just kind of like sit there and, and like find that buoyancy part. You notice that you ought, you naturally kind of come back up to the surface and it's like, oh, it's not that bad. Mm-hmm. But if you're fighting it, that's when you end up drowning because you're splashing yourself in the, in the face with all the water. Exactly. And you're caught in the undertow, which yes. will lead you right back out to sea. But if you ride the wave, you'll eventually surf into shore. Right. Right. And have a barbecue or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Aloha. (laughs) Yeah. And and of course, you mentioned the grief into grace. And that is the book that you're working on. Yes. I'm so excited for this book, which you've had a lot of help in formulating my own ideas, etc. So it is called Divine Love, The Young Widow's Journey from Grief to Grace. And it is about walking through this trudge and muck. And sometimes I even call it volcanic ash, you know, falling. And and in that, though, the, the rebirth of the phoenix is born. Because when when I have allowed myself to sink down and sit in the darkness and just embrace it, surrender to it. That is where I feel this incredible sense of grace. So grace will find me along my path. And I trust that. And I have faith in that. Mm -hmm. Wow. It's beautiful. I can't wait for the book to come out. Me either. (laughs) (laughs) However long it takes. Yes. You have a few things on the go. Obviously. A few things, but I still feel I'm living this experience. So sometimes... 
it will be a couple of years before I release it because I still need to share this and live the experience first before sharing the experience because it is still within it's 13 months and I made it around the sun, which I'm very grateful for. And I feel this sense of empowerment. Now I made it, I made it on my own the first year of this unbelievable journey, which I I can't even begin to describe through the highs and lows and ins and outs. And is this my reality and the PTSD that surfaced through this? That was interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember early on um, noticing the difference in how your brain was processing because yes. of the PTSD. And I was just much, well, frustrated, yes, but fascinated with how the brain copes and these waves come through. So a year ago, it was hard for me to formulate a sentence. Uh I had these period of gaps and, and yes, embarrassed and try to explain this to people who are listening to me or short-term memory loss. You know, I'm in my mid-30s and now I'm experiencing short-term memory loss it was so incredibly frustrating. And even a year later, even last weekend, I was experiencing some of these similar symptoms again. And I'm thinking, wow, this is a year later and I'm still experiencing this decision-making skills. You tell me, great, you know, let's go out for lunch. Don't ask me to make that decision because I couldn't. Here I made the the most difficult decision of my life to release my husband, to know when it was time for him to go. And I couldn't, I couldn't make a decision as to what to eat the next day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It it is really fascinating. And it's, it's good. I think it's good that people hear this, that when we go through something traumatic, the brain doesn't necessarily fire in the same linear patterns that they used to. Mm -hmm. And that if you're not making coherent sentences, if you're not able to make rational decisions, mm-hmm. then it might be the level of stress. It might be that your brain needs to heal. Your body needs to heal. Mm-hmm. And it's not that you're broken and going to be, you know, stupid for the rest of your life. Exactly. Exactly. I walked in to my gym where I've been a dedicated member for six, seven years now, and I couldn't put together a workout plan. And that, to me, definitely was scary in the beginning. Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe it, how I had to reconnect the neurotransmitters again. You know, that mind-to-muscle memory again. I had to relearn everything again in terms of regular workouts and program planning. And um, But a year later, I'm back now working out at the gym five days a week. You know, everything, everything turned out okay. You have to have faith in that. You have to have faith that it will get better. Yeah. The faith or surrender, both of those, you know, it's interchangeable. Yes. It's, you know, allowing that process to happen and, and getting help when it's appropriate. Oh, absolutely. You didn't do this alone. Absolutely. No, I had so much help through regular psychologists, immediately into my grief counselor, did various holistic practices like art therapy, Reiki healing. I traveled to Hawaii to go on a retreat and just allow myself to experience whatever experiences I had over there too. So a lot of people definitely helped out and it's okay to reach out for help. So even myself as a life coach, no, I'm the first one to say, hey, I've got a counselor. Whenever I need it, I have got a counselor. Mm-hmm. I think even more so when we're when we're the people helping other people. 
you know, we still need to stretch and grow ourselves because of course we can only bring people as far along on the path that we've gone. So if we want to keep bringing people along, we have to keep stretching and growing. I think I like that. I like that analogy. That was a good one. Good job. Thanks. Not a problem. (laughs) Every once in a while I have a good one. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. So Jen, I wanted to kind of take you back and, and also give the listeners a little bit of context. We've talked about this PTSD and you've alluded to letting your husband go, but I want it to be a little more, you know, I want them to really know what, what it, that incident was that possibly set up the PTSD for you. For me, it was the understanding where my husband had suffered a stroke, which led to a bleed out which led to a second stroke, which led to a series of strokes. And I was in the hospital room beside my husband trying to take in this information. And definitely shock was setting in at that moment. And I looked up towards the sun and I realized I I had absolutely no control anymore over myself, my situation, our marriage, his life. And I knew at that point I had to begin speaking to the universe and asking the universe, you know, if if he's supposed to go on and do other things along his path, I'll release the reins at this moment. And that was the the major decision for me to let him go. Knowing, Knowing that that lesson at that moment is to love someone so much and knowing when the proper time to let them go. And in signing that paperwork that afternoon, I didn't realize it then, but my signature then became a key component to my PTSD afterwards, where if you think about signing your name, how many times do we do it a week? Mm-hmm. 10, 12, 20 maybe, depending on what line of work you're in. So every single time I was signing my name, I was having flashbacks to that paperwork of signing to end a life. Mm. It's taken me a long time to work through that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you think, you know, the process when, you know, you know, your husband's just died and then you've, you've got all that paperwork to sign off for the insurance company, the, you know, the house, the documents and documents and documents. So that just is being re-triggered. And it, and it's not to like get this really be heavy today, but, but I just want to, you know, give people an idea because I think a lot of people don't realize the breadth of things, the different things that can happen to them that can create a PTSD. And, you know, people think about the grieving with this, but when we look at it in terms of this is a trauma. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a trauma. And the trauma experiences are sometimes happy, sometimes laughter and a sense of humor. And I'm one to make the odd crazy joke here and there. (laughs) Sick widow's humor, humor, yes, that definitely happens. And some days, there are days where, and I have been back in January through March, I couldn't even get out of bed. You know, the curtains were drawn. My pups were with me, yes, trying to cuddle and comfort me. And I would watch Netflix, you know, various documentaries, etc. Because the energy in myself, because I had to give so much energy in the five days of being at the hospital and not knowing, 
I had to recoup and I allowed myself to recoup and have time to do that and to know and to listen to my body as Mm -hmm. well. You know, my thoughts would come up, you know, Jen, have you meditated today? You know what? I haven't meditated this week. I need to go and meditate. Or Jen, how much water have you had today? You know what? Probably not enough. And I listen to those thoughts that come in Mm -hmm. to help me along my path moving forward. And it's also about moving through and allowing myself to be angry and say, you know what? I am pissed off. I am pissed off today, Dana. I don't want to go for a walk today. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I got several of those texts. Okay, Sorry. Walking by myself today. <laughs> Alright then. <laughs> so it is about that. And and to let everybody know that it's it's okay to to sit in that, but to move through that. To yeah. sink down into your heart center. Allow yourself to feel these emotions. You never want to pack them down mm-hmm. or bottle them or or feel like you have to go out just to please somebody else. Right. But it's okay to move through that. Yeah. Letting it be. And that's, that comes back to that surrender that we were talking to, to earlier. Right. You were surrendering into the moment as it was. Mm-hmm. You, you know, it was brilliant that you took the time and you just were really clear about okay, today I can go out. Nope, tomorrow I can't. And it was this flow and there was never any wrongness in any of it. No, I don't think so. And huge gratitude that you actually had a situation where you could take the time. Yes, very grateful for that. We we had the, the systems in place like life insurance, like mortgage insurance. We had that conversation as a young married couple right from year one. Mm-hmm. We would sit down every year around our birthdays in September and say, okay, let's double check here. Let's have this uncomfortable conversation. What do we do in case of, you know, if it's less than a hundred percent, you know, in a brain report, I don't want to move on. And I want you to move on. I want you to be happy again, et cetera. And those two minutes of a uncomfortable conversation a week and a half later, that is when everything happened. So even in that moment, I knew exactly what Derek wanted. Yeah. And seeing that M- MRI report after understanding that Derek, Derek was an identified genius. Mm-hmm. He was an internet systems developer. I called him my Sheldon from Big Bang Theory because it was like living with Sheldon. And when I saw that MRI report, there was nothing left. It was just blackness in, in that MI. It was MI. a very clear-cut decision at yes. that point that yes. it's not what he would have wanted. Exactly. You knew that because you you'd communicated. And I love the fact that you guys had difficult conversations. You know, yes. as couples, people need to have those difficult conversations. Yes. And, and talk about what possibly will be coming so that, you know, when life hits you upside the head, yes, you sideways, yes, you're not left guessing exactly what the other person would have because you've already talked about it and you can put it into action. So, I, you know, I know there's so much more we can dig into here. There really is. Mm-hmm. And I'm also aware of our time. So, you know, before we kind of open up another Pandora's dog box, I know there's so much. You and I get together and we can just like talk for hours. It's really, you know, it's not that difficult. But I would encourage anybody, if you want to hear more about Jen's story and her, you know, the the grief to grace, 
that you check out Believe in Your Dreams on Facebook and because you have a ton of live videos that you've done on there where you have been so open and so candid about your process and about what's going on that it has inspired a number of people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Coach's Corner every Sunday night, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, it's it's really about teaching others in, in this life experience. And that's what I want to do is share from the heart center. So thank you so much for having me on today. Yeah, you're welcome. Let's give a little shout out to your website as well. Where else can people find you? Believeinyourdream.ca or Facebook, Believe in Your Dream with Jen CB. Let's ride the wave together. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks, Jen. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to The Inner Dominatrix, the show that lets you step into your bold, sexy, fun-filled life. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love for you to tell your friends about it. And if you're ready to own your Inner Dominatrix, then hop over to my website, innerdominatrix.com and let's have a conversation to get you rocking your bold, sexy, fun-filled life.